Here we are. Praise the Lord. Why didn't you guys just worship? Just sitting here silent? Come on. Pull it together. All right. So for this month, we are focusing on worship and unnodding nonsense. So we're focusing on worship this month. And uh, while we're focusing on worship and taking our gum out of our mouth, we are uh, we're going to be preaching on worship, and then we're going to put that that we just learned in the sermon into practice by ending our services in worship. So that's why, we're, that's why we stopped worship when we did this morning. Now, worship is more than just what we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is also the way that we interact with each other, the way we work, the way that we mow the lawn. It's all of those things, but for the context of this series... We're focusing more on worship on Sunday mornings, why we worship the way that we do, why it's important so that we can learn about that. In John chapter 4, Jesus is in this place where he's thirsty, and Jesus goes to a place where he knows he can get water. He goes to this place called Jacob's Well. Probably most of you have read this story before. So Jesus goes to Jacob's Well, and when he gets there, there's a Samaritan woman there. And he asks the woman for a drink. And she looks at him and she's like, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we're not really supposed to be talking or interacting culturally. Like, it's not supposed to be that way. But Jesus asks her for a drink. And then Jesus says to her, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink of living water. And Jesus could tell she was uncomfortable. So Jesus said to her, why don't you go get your husband and come back? She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you answered that question correctly. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy that you're with now is not your husband. And she says, like, I can see that you're a prophet. And then Jesus starts to talk to her about worship. And when he does that, he says, a time is coming and has now come where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for those are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. That's the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. So there's actually a specific type of worshiper that God is looking for. It kind of makes me wonder, like, why is God looking for that type of worshiper? And why does God want us to worship? Like, is God lonely? And does he need us to worship? Does our worship enhance God? No, as it turns out, God doesn't need our worship God exists, he's self-sufficient, and he doesn't need anything. Our worship doesn't amplify him or make him bigger or better. But God is asking us to worship, not for his sake, but for ours. Not for what worship does for him, but for what worship does for us. Man is different from every other creature that God created, Man can uniquely respond in worship in a way that no one else can. God isn't seeking worshipers for what worship can do for him. He's seeking worshipers for what worship can do for you. When God is looking for those kind of worshipers, it's because he knows what worship will do for you. Everyone was born a worshiper. Everyone who's in this room, everyone who's on planet Earth, was born a worshiper. It's not really a question of, are you a worshiper or not? You are a worshiper. It's just a question of, what are you worshiping? 
What is the thing or what is the person that you worship? That's really what the question is. If I could get you to understand one thing about worship this morning, this would be it. Everyone is worshiping something. And the thing that you worship, you become like. I'm going to say it again because it's so important. This is kind of the basis for growth in your life. Everyone is worshiping something. That's each one of us. And what you worship, you become like. I'll give you an example of that. I have a, a good friend that's always been into music. Like as long as I can remember, this friend has been mildly obsessed with music. Didn't matter if it was playing music or listening to music. I can remember one time when I was a teenager, we were talking about this, and my friend said, I would do any job in the world. I don't even care what the job is, as long as I got to pick the music that we listened to. Like that was really important to him. Like I, he really, really likes music. We were at college together, and my friend started to listen to this band. And he started to listen to this band a lot. And he kind of got a little bit like obsessed with this band. Like all of his free time he was spending listening to this band or learning how to play music like this band was. He would learn their little guitar parts and their piano parts and he was practicing playing like this band. In fact, there was times where we would lead worship and my friend would play a little part and I would kind of look at him out of the corner of my eye like, that was from that song. Like, why, why are you doing that? But he was really, really into this band. Eventually, my friend started to realize that he was becoming angry. And that was really weird and out of character for him because he wasn't an angry person at all. He's kind of happy-go-lucky and kind of chill. But for some reason, he started to realize he started to become angry. And he was like, wait a second, like, why is that? Why am I angry? I'm not normally an angry person. So he started to kind of look at his life, trying to figure out, like, why am I angry now? Like, where did that even come from? And as he started to look at his life, he realized this band that he loved wrote songs oftentimes from a place of anger. There was anger behind a lot of their songs and the lyrics and the way that they wrote their songs. There was a lot of anger behind it. And as he began, he began to worship this band and appreciate them and look at them and listen to them, he started to look like them. And that will happen for each one of us in our life. You will begin to look like the thing that you worship. So when we worship God, we're actually entering into the process of becoming like him. We are signing up for making our lives look more like Jesus when we worship him. What should be happening on a Sunday morning when we get together is we start singing songs and God begins to reveal to us part of who he is in a song. We sing part of a lyric and he reveals who he is. And then when that happens, part of his nature is revealed to us, and our worship is our love expressed to him based on what we reveal. Our worship is our love expressed to him based on what he just revealed to us about who he is. So there's two kind of words that I said there. Worship is love expressed. And I want to talk to you about each of those words this morning. So I want to look first at love. Worship is love. Deuteronomy 11.1 1 says, Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commands always. And a few verses later in Deuteronomy 11.13 it says, 
And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So very clearly we can see that God really commands us to love him. But you might look at that and you might say, you know, that's in the Old Testament and we were under the law then, but now we're under grace. Like, does God still command us to love him in the New Testament? Let's look at Matthew 22 and see what Jesus himself says about that. It says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So then we see there that like it is crystal clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament out of Jesus' mouth himself that he commands us to love God. But how do we even have the capacity to love God like in ourselves? Like, How is that even possible? How is that a thing? Deuteronomy, just a couple chapters later, Deuteronomy 13.6 we see that God, this is one of the things I love the most about God. He doesn't just command us to do something. He commands us to do something. Then he gives us what we need to do the thing that he told us to do. He fully enables us to do what he calls us to do. So he commands us to love him. And then in Deuteronomy 13, we see that he literally gives us a new heart with the ability to love him. Let me read it to you. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, that's us, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that you may live, or that word live means experience a full life. So God literally gives you what you need in your heart. He gives you the ability, the capacity to love him. But sometimes if we're honest, we don't love God. Sometimes we don't love him. Or sometimes maybe you look around in a church service and you see someone else worshiping God in a certain way and you're like, man, I wish I loved God that much. Or I wish I could express my love to God in that way. So what, what's happening there when God gave us this heart, the ability to love him, but sometimes we don't? The love that God gave us in our heart that allows us to love him, sometimes that love leaks out. I'll give you an example. When you, uh, when you get married, you stand at the altar and you recite these vows and you say, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, for richer, for poorer. And when we recite those vows, like we really mean them. Like we, that's genuine. We feel that love in our heart and we mean that. But then sometimes when the sickness comes, we end up frustrated, we end up discouraged, we don't feel the love. When, we're, when we find ourselves in a place where we're richer, we feel good, but when we're poorer, it's like we can't seem to find the love in the same way that we did before. Was it that we were lying when we recited those vows? No, we didn't, we didn't lie when we recited those vows, but the love leaked out. The Bible says that Satan is literally throwing arrows at us all the time. He's coming after us day and night. Like, I wish he would take a day off, but he won't. Not going to do it. Like, he is coming after us every day, day and night, and he will not relent. And he's throwing arrows at us. And sometimes those arrows can pierce our heart, 
And when those arrows pierce our heart, the love leaks out. Sometimes he throws arrows of offense. How many of you have ever been tempted to be offended at someone? Like we experience something in relationship and somebody hurts us and then it's so easy to pick up offense towards that person. When we do that, that leaves a hole in our heart that allows the love to leak out. Or maybe you, you allow an arrow of bitterness into your heart. There's a lot of hard stuff that we walk through in our life, and it's really, really easy to become bitter from the hard stuff that we walk through. Sometimes I sit with people and they tell me about some of the stuff that they've walked through in their life, and I'm like, I can totally see why you would be bitter right now because you have been through some stuff. And it would be really easy to pick up bitterness. But when we do that, it can leave a hole in our heart that loves, lets the love leak out and we lose our capacity to love God. Or maybe unforgiveness. It's hard to forgive people. And people do crazy things and people hurt us all the time. And it can be so hard to forgive people. And it can be so easy to pick up unforgiveness that leaves a hole in our heart and then the love leaks out, and then we wonder why we don't have the capacity to love God. But we don't have to let those arrows hit our hearts. The Bible says that with the shield of faith, we can actually block every fiery dart that the enemy throws our way. So, like, what is the shield of faith, and how does that work? Like, do we need to walk around like we're holding a shield all the time? Like, no, but I think you could see very clearly in your life, when your faith is strong, that unforgiveness doesn't really find a place to stick. That bitterness, it just kind of like bounces off of you. But when you're in a place where you're far from God and your faith has dwindled, those arrows can find their way into our hearts oftentimes. And that causes the love to leak out. So we need to be really careful about what we allow into our hearts because the love that he gave us in this new heart can leak out. The second thing we can see about love is that love can grow. And it can grow in either direction. I'll tell you what I mean. Maybe you, some of you have had this experience when you have a baby. And you hold this baby in the hospital, and you fall in love with this baby in a way that you think to yourself, like, it is not possible for me to love beyond the capacity that I love right now. Like, I am loving at level 100. Like, I love this kid so much. This kid just changed my life in a moment. And, like, you feel like you love to the max. But then you bring the, the kid home and you get to know the kid and eventually the kid tells you they love you. And it's like your heart grows for this child. You love beyond what you even thought you could love. And that can happen with the, in our relationship with the Lord too where we, we have an encounter with him and experience with him and our love can ever grow beyond that and we love him even more than we even thought was possible. But then sometimes also our love can grow cold. In fact, in the book of Revelation, that's one of the accusations against the church is that the church allowed their love to grow cold. So we see that this love can grow in either direction. So this love needs to be matured and cultivated and cared for in a way that causes it to grow towards the Lord. And the last thing I want you to see about love is that love responds our love for God is a response to who he is. It's him who first loved us, and then we respond to him by loving him. This is what should be happening on a Sunday morning. We should be singing songs, experiencing revelation, 
and then responding out of love. I'll give you some examples. Maybe you're in a place where you're struggling physically. Maybe you have some disease or some infirmity, or maybe like me, you're just a little bit under the weather today. And you're in that place where you're not feeling well. And then we sing, I believe you're my healer. And when you sing those words, you might have sung them a hundred times before. But on that Sunday, when you sang, I believe you are my healer, it was so much more. It was like those words became true for you. They've been true all along, but in that moment, they became true for you. And you said, yeah, you are my healer. And then the Lord reminds you it's by the stripes on his back that he paid the price for your healing. Not for just everyone else's healing, but for your healing. And you respond, something in your heart grows, that love you want to respond and say, God, you are my healer. That thing that has always been true just became true for you. That's the revelation that we experience when we sing together on a Sunday morning and then the love in our heart responds to that. Maybe you feel like your life isn't going well. Maybe you feel like it's just gone from bad to worse, like from one challenge to another challenge, and you look around and you don't see any way out, and you're like, the only way out of this situation is if someone else comes and saves me. Like, I can't do it on my own. I can't do anything on my own to fix this. And then we sing, oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? And in that moment, you start to cry. Maybe you get down on your knees or you stand up and you raise your hands and you realize he isn't just your savior for salvation to get you out of hell and into heaven, but he is your savior today in your brokenness, in the mess of your life, some of it that you made, like some of this was your own doing. But still, even in that place, he still is your savior and you start to worship, and there's a response in your heart. Or maybe you've been tempted to wander, or maybe you've been out wandering for way too long. You've been running from God, you've been doing your own thing, trying to fill the emptiness that you feel, just trying to get numb for a little bit, just trying to go have fun for a little bit, trying to shut your mind off, and in that place you've been running from God. And we sing, better is one day in your courts, Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere, and you just break inside because you realize all that stuff I've been chasing, all that stuff I've been out there doing, like it just leaves me empty in the end. And just a moment with God is better than any of that other stuff that I've been chasing. And you have that revelation in your heart, and in that revelation, you respond and you start to worship. And it's not just words you're singing. Now you're actually worshiping the true God. So true worship is love. But that love must be expressed. If you have love for God, <coughs> sorry, <clears throat> if you have love for God, but that love is not expressed, it is not worship. If you have love in your heart for God, but it's not expressed, it's not worship. And similarly, if you have lots of expression, but there's no love in your heart for God, that too is not worship. Worship is love expressed to God. Another way you could say that beyond expression is communicated. 
Worship is love communicated. Communicating is a way of expressing. I saw something interesting earlier this year in the beginning of the Bible that I hadn't seen as I was reading through Genesis. I was reading through Genesis, and I saw in the beginning we have Adam and Eve in this perfect relationship with God before the fall. Everything is good, and in Genesis it says they walked with God and they talked with him in the cool of the day. So we have Adam and Eve walking and communicating or expressing in this perfect relationship in the garden. And then the fall happens. And then I saw something interesting that I hadn't ever noticed before. After the fall, there is no communication, none, for two chapters that's initiated by man. None of the communication is is initiated by man. Man never goes to God and talks to him. It is only God who goes and initiates communication from that point forward. Previously, there had been communication that was initiated by man, and there was expression. But after the fall, for two chapters, we have zero communication initiated by man. It's only initiated by God. God says things like, where are you when Adam and Eve went and hid? He says things like, who told you you were naked? He says, did you eat from the tree? He goes to Cain and he says, where's your brother after Cain had just killed his brother? So these are all communications initiated by God, but no communications for two chapters initiated by man until we get to the end of chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in chapter tw- uh, 4, verse 25. It says, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Then Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, this is what I want you to see, at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. The New Living Translation says it this way, at that time people first began to worship the Lord by name. People began to worship God by name at that time. Before the fall, there was expression, there was communication that happened initiated by man. After the fall, man tended to shy away and in fact didn't even start communication with God. They went and they hid. And isn't that our tendency sometimes to go away from God and hide? Or when we feel far from him, We tend to not want to initiate communication with him. But when Enosh was born, that was when men started to reach out to God and began to worship him by name. There was something that was sparked in their heart where they knew they were made for worship. They were made to express. They were made for communication with God, and they started to enter into it. Something that I'm really passionate about myself is seeing men worship God. Now, I know this is kind of a a generalization, but I would say, in general, it's usually easier for women to feel and express love than it is for men. And they communicate love more naturally than men usually. Women tend to learn by listening and talking whereas men tend to learn by watching and doing. That's why men tend to like things like shop class, because you 
watch somebody do something, and then you go do it. Even if you look at Jesus in the Bible, he had 12 disciples, all of them men. And almost every time that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples something, he'll say things like, watch me do it, and then you go do it. And when, he's, when Jesus is trying to teach women something, he'll oftentimes be in a conversation and dialogue, and there'll be communication, and women tend to understand it. But when Jesus talks to men, they usually don't understand it. They usually don't know what he's saying. They're like, what? And you might say, well, what about parables? Like, Jesus always taught in parables. And I would say, yeah, because women were there. And so when he teaches in parables, like, the women get it. He tells a story, and the women are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But every time, look it, go look this week. Almost every time Jesus tells a parable, like, the disciples look around at each other like, what's he talking about? Like, what's he, what does he mean by that? And then Jesus is like, all right, like, come here, like, let me show you. And so then he goes and he shows them, and then they're like, oh, okay, we can do that. Like, yeah, we can handle that. Women, when they get together, they usually get together to talk, which is strange, but they do. They get together with just, they're just going to get together to talk, which is kind of weird, but they do it. Um, But men don't usually just get together to talk. They usually get together to do something, like we're going to go fishing, or we're going to go bowling, or we're going to watch a movie, or we're going to go fix something. And in the process of being together, they grow in their relationship together, and it's a good thing. I'll give you a little, a little marriage advice this morning. Um, wives, if you want to connect with your husband and you want your husband to talk to you, when he comes home from hanging out with his friends, don't ask him what they talked about. If you ask your husband, like, what did you guys talk about? He'll say, like, nothing. I didn't go there for talking. We went to get away from the talking. Like, we just went to, to hang out and do something. Like, it would be weird. You guys might get in a fight. Ask him what they did. If you ask him what they did, then he'll start talking and he'll tell you about what they did and what they talked about. And then kind of similarly, husbands, if you want to connect with your wives, don't ask her what she did with her friends. Ask her what they talked about. But just a little caveat, you better have some time because it might take a while for her to to explain it to you. So, you know, I'm explaining that in a funny way. But I absolutely believe that when men are passionate about something, they will talk about it. I mean, watch a guy fall in love with a girl, and it's like it's all he can talk about. And eventually you're like, dude, like, is there anything? Like, did you watch the football game? Like, is there anything else we can talk about? Like, I don't want to hear about her anymore. But when he finds something he's passionate about, he will express and he will communicate. Men, you communicate differently, but you do communicate And men, what I want you to know this morning is God made you, and he made you with the ability to love, to express, and to communicate. It's probably going to look very different than when a woman does it, but that's okay. Just begin to express the love that you have for God in your heart, and I believe that as you step out and do that, you will find your love for God will grow. Maybe you're into hunting and you're out early before the sun's up and you climb up into a tree and you're sitting there and you watch the sun come up and as the sun comes up, this happens to me all the time, you begin to like feel gratitude in your heart. Like, God, thank you that I get to be here and I get to experience this. Thank you for my family and thank you for being patient with me and thank you for watching out for me. Just begin to talk to God and to express what's in your heart. And then when we come together on a Sunday morning, just do the same thing. Just begin to express your gratitude to God, just begin to express what's in your heart. 
And as you do that, you will find that you have more words and more language to express what, he's, what, you're, what you're grateful for and express your gratitude to him. There's nothing more manly than a man under authority that isn't afraid to express his heart to God. It's what you were made to do. The world we live in, I believe, is trying to neuter men. The world wants lifeless, passionless men who are sedated, but that's not who God made you to be. God made you to be a man who is not afraid to worship him. And when you enter into the process of worshiping him, you are literally entering into the process of becoming more like him. There's a pastor who um, I watch once in a while. He's from the Syracuse area. His name is Michael Cervello. He has a real big church in, in the Syracuse area. And he told a story about a man that was an elder at his church. And it was a kind of a unique situation because the man had only been at his church for three years total, like when he passed away. And they made him an elder after only one year being at the church, which is not very normal. But he had been an elder at a church in, in Florida for like 30 years, and he was a huge pillar in that church. But he moved back up to Syracuse to be close to family. And he was there for three years before he passed away. And he was a very quiet man. And people used to kind of pick on him in the elders' meetings because sometimes his wife would finish his sentences for him. And he was okay with that. Like, he, he was fine with it. He'd be like, maybe we should. And she said, should go pray for that person? He'd say, yeah, let's go do that. And he just didn't have a lot of words. He wasn't a very expressive guy. He was very quiet. But he loved God so much, and he always found a way to express his love to God. Sometimes in worship, he would kneel down and he would pray. Sometimes he would raise his hands or clap. Sometimes if he got, received fresh revelation from God that was setting him free in area, you might even catch him dancing a little bit. But that was not what his personality normally was. That was him choosing to express his heart to God because his love for God was so important to him. But he didn't just express his love for God in worship. He found a way to express his love for God to people, too. So this man passed away, and uh, the family asked Pastor Michael if he would do the funeral, and they said, of course. But he'd only been at this church for a, th a few years, and it was a big church, so he didn't really get to know people super well. So they thought they might do the service in one of the auxiliary chapels that was small, because it would be kind of awkward to be in their huge sanctuary with just a few people. So they decided to do the, the funeral in one of the auxiliary chapels. But more and more people were calling and saying that they were going to come to the funeral. So it was like the day before the funeral, and they were like, maybe we should move the funeral back to the sanctuary. Like, there's a lot of people that have called and said they were coming. So last minute, they decided to move the funeral back to the sanctuary. Pastor Michael was kind of late. He was running from a situation and headed back to the funeral. When he walked into the funeral, he was shocked to see there was not a seat open in the place. There was standing room only, and there was a line of people waiting to get in. So he went through the, the, the funeral, and they had a time of remembrance. And he sat in the front row, and he listened to, there was way more people that lined up to share about this man than there was time for. And there was, he just said he sat there in shock, like watching these people talk about interacting with this guy. And he thought to himself, this guy's had more interactions with people in our community in three years than I've had in 25 years here. And this is my job. He's like, I had like a full-time pastor on staff, and I didn't even know it. Like, he was just running around the community, caring for people, looking for opportunity to express the love 
that was in his heart for God. A state trooper got up during the time of remembrance and shared, and he said there was kind of a joke at the state trooper barracks because this guy used to listen to the police scanner, and he would get to the roadside scenes if somebody ran out of gas or got a flat tire or their car broke down. He would get there before the state trooper could even get there. He was always looking for an opportunity to express what God had done in his heart. He said he did research to find out what the most common bolt patterns on cars were, and he'd have six or eight uh, wheels in the back of his car with tires on them, ready to go to put a, a, a new tire on somebody's vehicle when they had a flat tire if they didn't have a spare. He always carried 10 gallons of gas for him, not because he needed gas, but because he'd find people that were in need. Anytime he heard about somebody who was going through something hard, he'd order a pizza and have it sent to their house. He was always doing everything he could to find some way to express the love that he had in his heart for God, whether it was in a worship service or whether it was serving people. This morning, I want to end my sermon by just asking you a question. It's a very simple question. And that question is, do you really love God? Do you really love God? And I just want you to think about that for a second. If the answer to that question is no, you don't really love God, I'm going to guess the reason is because the love has leaked out. You've taken on some bitterness, some unforgiveness and offense, and that's caused the love to leak out. And one of the things that I love so much about God is he doesn't just call us to love him, he makes a way for us to love him. So what I want to encourage you to do this morning, if you find yourself in that place, is just invite God in and say, God, like, what was the thing that I allowed into my heart that caused me to lose the ability to love you? And then ask him to come and to heal that place of brokenness in your heart so that you could begin to love him again. And he'll do it this morning. He'll come and he'll point out things that you don't even remember from a long time ago and you're like, oh man, I forgot about that. But yeah, I guess I, I, guess I did allow that bitterness to kind of take root in my life back then. Just invite him to come and minister to that place so that you could be free to love and express again. Now, if the answer to that question of do you really love the Lord is yes, and I imagine it is for probably most of you, that love that you have for God must find an expression or else it's not worship. So what I want to encourage you today is to find some way to step out in expressing your love for God. Find some way, even if it's not natural, you know, this guy from Syracuse that I was talking about, it wasn't natural for him to raise his hands or kneel down. It certainly wasn't natural for him to dance. He felt, felt kind of weird about it every time. But you know what? He said, you know what, God, I love you so much, and you're so important to me that I'm going to find some way to express the love that I have for you in my heart. When you enter into the process of worshiping God, you're signing up for you to become like him, for you to start to look like him. And as I look around the world today, we need a lot more people that look like Jesus in this world. So when we worship, we're saying, God, count me as one of those people that wants to look like you and wants to be your hands and feet to the people around me. We're going to take a quick break. If you need to get your kids, you can go ahead and do that. And then we're going to come back together and we're going to spend some time expressing our heart to the Lord this morning. We'll be back in just a couple minutes.